This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Laracasts. Laracasts is the de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels. Whether you're new to Laravel or you're hoping to level up your dev team, Laracast was constructed entirely and exclusively for you. It's a lot like Netflix for your career. I think there's over 500 videos on there right now covering all sorts of topics from Laravel itself to different backend tools, front-end frameworks like Vue.js and React, design patterns, how to get better at Git. There's something on there for everybody. So check it out if you have a chance at Laracasts.com. And thanks again to Laracast for sponsoring Full Stack radio enjoy the show hey everyone welcome to another episode of the full stack radio podcast where i talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration i'm your host adam wathen as always and today i'm here with the founder of bear metrics josh pigford how's it going josh i'm going good thanks for having me awesome man thanks for coming on uh lots of things to talk about uh but first of all do you mind just giving kind of a brief introduction about who you are and what bear metrics is all about sure so um like i said i'm josh and um i run a company called bear metrics uh we provide uh, analytics and insights and tools uh, for small and medium businesses that are on Stripe. So, you know, things like MRR, lifetime value churn, just launched a Dunning feature yesterday, lots of stuff like that. Awesome, man. So maybe the first thing to kind of dive into, I know myself personally, I've got a lot of little side projects and stuff on the go, a couple things that I'd really like to turn into real things. I know a lot of my listeners are doing the same thing. So it'd be interesting to hear about how you kind of got started with bare metrics. Mostly I'm interested in like, how much was there when you started like taking people's money and how much time had you put into it at that point? Sure. So um, I've been making stuff for the web for... Uh, a decade um and and kind of i've i've been self-employed for all of that time um so i've i've been doing i do i've done some consulting stuff in the past that would kind of um prop me up to do products and, and random things like that over the years um and their bare metrics was kind of came out of the i had two other SaaS products at the time um and i needed metrics and analytics and things like that and nobody else was really doing that uh, at least not without a massive amount of um work to set it up and then you know if you screw up one little thing then it kind of would screw up all the all, all the analytics and so um decided to build something for myself um that was october 2013 um so then a month later i i launched the first version of bare metrics and after that, um, I, I had customers day one, um, and I, within the first couple of months, had a couple thousand dollars in recurring revenue. Um, and then within about five months, had about 5,000 in recurring revenue. And then I guess fast forwarding, right now we're at a little over $35,000 a month. That's awesome. How would you compare like uh, the feature set that Bear Metrics had on launch day to what you guys have now? entirely different i mean so the the very first version it was me by myself handling 100 percent of the stuff and then two months after uh launching it um i i rebuilt it from scratch so like the first version had just a really limited set of metrics you couldn't really see historical metrics or anything like that um it was slow kind of clunky um and then i i rebuilt it in around i think january or february of 2014 uh and then a couple months later brought on my first engineer and then he i mean essentially now we've basically rewritten it again okay. um and and there's, we've just added a ton of stuff since then so it's pretty different right on when you rebuilt it are you like what sort of tech stack and stuff is bare metrics built on i think it's a so, rails app 
Yeah, it's a pretty vanilla Rails app, or at least it initially was. I mean, we've had, from a performance perspective, we've had to do a lot more now, especially in like the database database side of things. Um, but it's still relatively vanilla in that sense. Yeah, cool. How would you say like? Like, how did you know that you were ready to launch Bear Metrics? Like, when you first launched it, like, did you have like a checklist or anything of things that you wanted to make sure that you had done before you put up? For example, like for me, for the thing that I'm working on right now, some of the things that I feel like are holding me back and making me like kind of afraid to put it out there and start asking people for money is things like, oh, I haven't put together like a terms of service or like a privacy policy, or you know, I haven't registered it properly as a business, but I don't even know if people are going to want to pay me money. So is that even worth doing? Like, how do you deal with those sorts of questions when you're putting out something new? So I don't, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. It's like the whole goal is to get people, get one person to give you some money. And then from there, get five people to give you some money and then 10 people and so on and so on. Like, and to get the feedback from, from the people that are paying you money, not feedback from people who are just freeloading, you know, like you have to get feedback from people who are invested in the product. And if you can't get anybody to invest in the product, i.e. become a customer, then your your product isn't ready and you need to keep working on it. I think, and it's also like this overemphasis on your initial launch as though that's the only time you could launch. Like the, if you, if you put a ton of stock in like building up something really nice and then you're like, I'm going to get this on product hunt, blah, blah, blah. And then it'll be awesome. I mean, you will be, extremely let down um <laughs> because it's just it just that that's not a way you can't build a business based off of like a, a single day product launch it's a it's a extremely long slow process that i don't think first time you know business entrepreneurs or um even people who are just building some random product really realizes that it's a really long slow slog yeah i guess i mean i've talked to some other people about this idea too of like kind of always be launching sort of thing you know what i sure. mean like especially on your first kind of venture you're right that um when you put out some new big update or something there's lots of people who are going to see you for the very first time then and you still have that chance to make that first impression kind of over and over again it's not like you're twitter putting out some new app or something and it has to be you know it has to impress people on day one with the same sort of polish that you would expect from a company that's been doing something for a while right i mean that's the thing like you know your your company will should if it's your if you're doing anything relevant will always be growing and that stuff obviously has to happen every day every week every month every year and you're not launching every single day right i mean like the, like marketing is a big part of it and a, a single launch day is just a tiny little blip yeah, on for the sure. timeline you wrote a blog post uh, not too long ago where you're talking about all the different types of insurance and stuff that you might want to have as, you know, running a software business, which on one hand is kind of is really informative, right? Because it's really good to see that stuff. But at the same time, sort of plays into my kind of fears of not feeling like I'm ready to put something out there. You know what I mean? When would you start worrying about that sort of thing? When you when you're like making any money? I mean, I mean, like, that's the thing is most people worry about that kind of stuff and they haven't made a dollar and it doesn't matter at that point and i mean really until until you're you're making enough to um like pay yourself a actual salary it's it's probably not worth it yeah okay yeah that's a that's kind of a good uh benchmark i think a good kind of place to look at it from um one thing that i thought was interesting about the what you guys do at bare metrics that you know has been a pretty big 
thing for you guys, I think, is the whole open startups thing, right? You have that page where there's a bunch of people using bare metrics that reveal all their numbers and stuff for everybody to look at. Um, I thought it was really cool to look through some of that stuff because as someone who's like never created a real business and been able to, you know, make my own money, I've always had a regular job. Uh, a lot of the stuff on there was surprising in the sense that it's kind of encouraging to see that there's a lot of companies on there that have, you know, like way less than a thousand customers, but oh, are still sure. running very worthwhile businesses. Yep. Um, but I mean, I think the reason that's super interesting is because you, in your mind, think that companies are doing a lot better than they really are. Uh, you know, especially if they're, if they've got a lot of positive press or you've seen them on product on or on some like random tech blog or something like you have this tendency to think, man, they're doing awesome. In reality, I mean, we get to see, we've seen literally thousands of businesses' financial data. And I mean, the large majority are not doing that well. Um, and the whole open startups thing, like grouping all that in one place, the purpose of that, I think was uh, in part at least to try to downplay the sort of sensationalized startup world. When you say like not doing that well, do you mean that in the sense like, you know, their business is in danger? Or do you mean that in the sense like it doesn't have to be as grand as maybe it looks on TechCrunch or whatever all the time? Uh, both. I mean, I think if you think so, I would say um, when you think of a, a metric for if a company's doing well, um, that's not I would say that's not something like MRR, um, how much revenue. The The bigger sort of indicator, I would say, is churn. And so that, you know, that's basically, do people like the product or not enough to keep paying for it? And a lot of companies, maybe they, they may be making a lot of money, their MRR could be, you know, $100,000 a month, um, but they have huge churn, which yeah, is, so a, I mean, like constantly fighting to keep that right. same. And eventually that will that will burn them to the ground. I mean, you know, there's only so many people dramatic, in the world, but it, right? Yeah. But right, <laughs> but I mean, it's like maybe maybe they've they've got this huge market, like it's just something, some sort of massive industry that has tons of customers. Um, so right now, the growth can outpace the churn, but eventually, you run out of human beings, and so that eventually that starts plateauing, and they have to solve that problem. Um, and so that's where I, a lot of companies have um, just. I mean, astronomical churn and, and that's, and, and you think like, oh, but they're doing great. Well, no, like in a year that's, they will have a, a serious problem on their hands. Have you seen, um, there's a presentation that like DHH gave a few years ago where he was talking about like the fortune 5 million and not trying to, you know, create these multi-billion dollar companies and stuff sure. like that. He gives this example of, um, you know, you can make, you can have a million dollar a year business by having. 2000 customers paying $40 a month. And when I first saw that presentation, that made me kind of think, well, yeah, like 2000 customers, like that seems like kind of reasonable. But then when I go and look at like, you know, the open startup stuff on bare metrics, you start to realize that 2000 customers is actually still a lot of customers, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, there is no, there's no easy way to do it. I mean, you can even, you know, throw around random sort of theoretical numbers, but the fact is maybe you don't, you know, maybe you don't want to have uh you know a, a staff of a hundred people and you're making millions of dollars a year um but even then it's still it's still really like most you know one single person companies don't like they have trouble making a thousand dollars a month uh it's just it's difficult regardless so there's no way there's no there's no easy dollar to be made i would say 
Yeah. One thing that I think you guys do really, really well that would be interesting in hearing kind of your opinions on is the content marketing stuff. Uh, what are kind of the big reasons for you guys doing content marketing? Why do you believe so much in that approach? Or at least it seems like you have a big belief in it. Mm-hmm. So it it works really well for us because we take the angle of um, of, of writing content for other founders and founders are our target. Um, so writing content for them just makes sense. And it also, it's, you know, from a selfish standpoint, it's easy for us to do because that's, you know, it's easy for me yeah, to write that like stuff because I'm a founder. Your own itch, right. right. Yeah. So I'm writing stuff that I've, you know, kind of picked up on over the past years of doing stuff and maybe somebody else will find it interesting. Maybe they won't, but, uh, it depends on the stage of the business too. So it's sort of been a natural channel for us, uh, to do that. Does, I don't think it makes sense for everybody, um, to, from like, a you know, writing to other founders, but I think content is a, can be a really great way to, to get new customers. Yeah. You have some like really interesting ideas for content too. I think that, um, I think a lot of people could learn from kind of looking through the posts that you have on there and realizing like there's probably a lot of things that they do during the day that they don't really think much of that a lot of people could learn things from, right? Like the perfect example that comes to my mind is the post you put out not too long ago about how to make like awesome animated GIFs for launching features. Oh, sure. Um, Stuff like that is super cool and you might not ever think to write a blog post about that if that's something that you do every day, you know what I mean? Do you do anything special to kind of find these ideas for content or... Uh, notice things that you're doing that you think could be turned into content. So we keep um we keep an ongoing list of article ideas, and I mean that thing. It's probably a few hundred items long, and it's just kind of randomly think of stuff. I mean, a lot of times, I, I mean, I bet half of those articles I thought of the day before I was supposed to publish it. So a lot of it's just okay. What's some stuff that I've been working on lately? In that particular, so that GIF article was written by Kagan, who's our customer success guy. Um, and so for him, he's been produced, as we've been producing or, or shipping a ton of different features, he's been producing all these animated GIFs to go with them. And he's gotten really good at it. And we get comments all the time about, you know, when we post something on Twitter or whatever and have this like cool animated GIF. It's like, how'd you make that? So for that particular one, it was, hey, we just keep getting asked how to make these. Let's write an article about it. Yeah, for sure. Do you think there's benefits to content marketing um, that are bigger than just, you know, increasing kind of your reach and visibility compared to a competitor that doesn't do content marketing, but maybe does the, you know, same thing for uh, the same price and, you know, some potential customer knows about both of you. Do you think the, what sort of edge do you think the content marketing gives you in that that situation? Uh, Probably the biggest one is just sort of establishing yourself as knowing what the heck you're talking about. Even if I don't necessarily know what the heck I'm talking about, I, I've at least been transparent enough to say, here's the stuff that's working and isn't working. And I think people can relate to that a lot more than somebody who hasn't written anything about it. And they don't have, they don't feel any sort of personal connection to Yeah, for sure. Do you think there's things that you can do to win customers against uh, cheaper competitors, even if you're offering the same product? Like, I used to record bands for a living right before I got into software and running like a real studio and trying to make real money doing it. You're always competing against these kind of like bedroom mixers who are like 18 year old kids in their parents house that had no overhead or anything at all that would like mix a song for $50 or something. And in in that world, it was a little bit easier to kind of win out in those situations because you could kind of just show like, well, this is the, what I'm going to create for you versus what that person's going to like the portfolio sort of thing. But And some of the ideas and stuff that I have, I don't really see like that 
that same analogy. Do you think there's things that you can do that can make you seem like a better option, even if you're basically offering the same product at a higher price? But I think that, well, so at the core, I think that's, they're not the same product. I mean, if you think of the same, I mean, I don't know. That's the, so we've had, I mean, dozens, maybe a hundred plus copycats over the past couple of years, um, especially after we made our stuff public, our, our numbers public. And a lot of them, I mean, almost verbatim copied the text that we use on our marketing site and the have the, try to have the exact same metrics. And, you know, on the surface, people could say like, oh, well, they've got the same feature set as you. Why would I use you? And honestly, I think the people that ask those kinds of questions who are like, well, this knockoff product is 20 bucks cheaper. Well, it's like, okay, well then I don't want your extra 20 bucks. Like go to them. You're not, so, you're but not why do you customer. think people do choose bare metrics in those cases? Uh, I think because of like the overall, um, I think we're a lot more established. I think there's a lot of word of mouth that comes with, with bare metrics. So that's how a lot of people find out about metrics is from word of mouth from friends and other entrepreneurs and not a quick search on Google. So I think like, just that kind of stuff that comes with bare metrics um, over just some like random knockoff from, you know, some little, some, some random guy who's trying to make a quick buck. Yeah. I can say like for me, like as someone who, you know, I'm not a bare metrics customer now, but you know, maybe down the road, it'll be something that makes sense for me. I can't think of why I would look at, you know, any competitors. And I think the reason for that is the content marketing stuff. And it's because you've built up this level of this reputation of like being smart people and being trustworthy people and having uh, useful things to say. And I think that carries a lot of weight with me personally. So that's kind of what I was wondering if you think uh, other people kind of look at it the same way. I mean, maybe, I don't know. At the same time, there's, there is a certain level of trying things out and seeing what it's like, because, you know, part of, part of the experience with something like business software, a lot of times comes down to also things like support. So you wouldn't know what the support interactions like without trying the software. I mean, you could send in some questions ahead of time, but some of that stuff you can't really figure out until you start investing yourself in the software. Um, I don't, it's just, it's it's sort of a long game. I mean, I I think if you're putting too, if you put too much weight in a single page, like landing, a single landing page is, the differentiating factor between competitors, then that's a, that's a hard road to, to go. You said that you kind of, it seems like you kind of feel like you have a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the content stuff because of the fact that your product is for companies just like you, you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. a lot that your customers can learn from the exact same problems that you're trying to solve and the exact same growing pains that you guys are going through and stuff like that. If you didn't have bare metrics, where would you be looking for other ideas do you think you'd be trying to do the same thing trying to make something that uh you know is kind of easy to write content for um since your customers are the same people as you or do you have other interests and stuff that you might be looking to solve problems in i don't know the the whole like well if you know if you weren't working on bare metrics what would you be doing i mean uh, anything that i've built or worked on in the past decade has always started from like it's always been a jumping i've jumped off whatever I was currently working on onto the next. I mean, everything's got some sort of connection. And so I think I have no idea what else I would be working on because right now I'm solving the problem that I really had at the time and it's working and I don't, maybe something else comes up that it's like, Oh, this is an even bigger problem to solve. I, but it's hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm super content with where we're at at the moment. Yeah. I don't really mean like, you know, is there an idea that's better than bare metrics that you would work, want to work on or anything? I just mean like, 
as someone who is like in the sort of maker space, say, you know, someone who's a developer or someone who's interested in like product development and stuff, a lot of the times like the problems that you notice that you're trying to solve are like developer related problems or product uh, people right. type of problems. And, and sometimes I don't know if those are the best, like, I feel like those are harder problems to to solve a lot of the time because there's so many other developers trying to solve developer problems and developers are always jumping onto the latest and greatest thing and always looking for something new compared to other like you know more stable industries so what do you kind of see what are your opinions on like the advantages of like looking for problems in that space versus trying to use the skills you have to solve problems in other spaces okay so i think the the problem is people people put too much um weight into an original to the original idea that they have um, and then they and then they stick with it for far too long. So, like the story I have is the the products that I was working on before Bear Metrics uh, were a couple of survey, like just quick survey systems. And I worked on those for a few years. And before I realized, like, and I was even working on them while I was because I built Bear Metrics for them. And so, Bear Metrics took off a lot faster. And within the first like six to eight months started making more money than those other two ever had after a couple of years of work. And I think that's when it clicked that I should have ditched those long ago. And I, th- I think like part of figuring out what you should be working on is like shipping things and then killing them and moving on to the next thing really quickly. I don't think that doesn't mean you should be wishy-washy about things, but I think that you should ship something and then kind of figure out, oh, does this solve a problem? Eh, maybe not. Let's move on to the next thing. And the next thing may have may come out of what you've learned and the feedback that you got from building the previous thing. Um, and especially if you're a developer, I mean, you've got the skill sets that, I mean, thousands of business graduates wish that they had and that's the ability to actually make a thing instead of just having an idea and having to go scrounge around to try to get somebody else to build it for you i mean that's a huge huge asset and you should just use that to your advantage and make stuff as quickly as possible and figure out what's what works and what doesn't and then stop working on things when you realize this isn't working and move on to the next it sounds like you kind of have like a mentality of focusing on like one thing at a time right they're talking about like trying something out if it doesn't work moving on to the next thing if it doesn't work moving on to the next thing what do you think the advantages are to that approach versus kind of thinking about multiple different projects at the same time so i think that working i mean there's lots of people who have either multiple small little SaaS products or they have multiple like digital pro whether that's like ebooks or courses or things um and I would say, like, sure, you can make some money that way. You can also be just kind of half good at all of those things instead of being really great at one. I mean, either one can work. I think that having multiple, juggling multiple things is draining as all get out. I mean, I think it's really hard to maintain that long term without something suffering, whether that's the quality of the products or you getting burnt out something falls through the cracks yeah that makes total sense to me i mean like it seems really hard to work on two things at the same time and have either of them go anywhere you know what i mean another thing i thought would be kind of cool to get into a little bit would be pricing stuff uh i noticed like on the landing page you guys only advertise like monthly pricing but if you go and look in like the barometrics dashboard you have yearly plans and stuff as well and i think this idea of like yearly SaaS pricing um, has been getting a little bit more interesting to me lately because, you know, you hear people talk about like, you know, the long SaaS ramp of death and how hard yep. it is to kind of like build up revenue and stuff. What are your thoughts on monthly versus yearly pricing? Um, as a business owner, I love yearly pricing. 
Uh, I mean, it's it's great from a cash flow standpoint. Um, it's also great from a churn perspective. I, I mean, if you can if you can pull it off, do it. There's no reason not to. There's no, there's no real downside there if you can. Uh, but as far as like forcing yearly, you have to kind of test it. It just depends on on the product and the customer. Is there any reason you guys don't like advertise the yearly pricing up front? Like, do you think it makes se- more sense as like an upsell when someone already has an account? I do think it makes it's easier to upsell it after you've proven the value. I mean, there's a dozen different ways to introduce a yearly plan. You know, I think we would have to have a a actual free full featured trial to pull off a yearly plan as the default. But we also price test different things on the yearly stuff. So some people will try a two month discount or a three month discount or a one month discount. And so that's easier to test that stuff after they're already inside the app. Do you guys put any significant effort into kind of persuading people to upgrade to yearly pricing once they've been using the app for a while? Yeah, we've got some automated emails that go out to try to sell the the benefits of of that for sure. Yeah. And has that been pretty successful? Yeah. And there's certain formats that have worked better than others. I mean, I, I think the the most successful for us has been doing a three-month discount and making the email about that just really like a plain text personal email and not this like all like shiny, you know, save money on your taxes or, you know, or only get billed once and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just the making it really like, Hey, interested in this three month discount. Sure. That's converted really well for us. Yeah. Actually, that's kind of an interesting topic that I've been thinking about a little bit is this idea of like how you style these sort of automated emails. You know what I mean? The difference between something that like looks like a regular email versus something that like looks like a branded email from a company. What are your opinions on that stuff? Uh, I prefer the plain text stuff for sure. Unless it's um, say a weekly newsletter, but even our newsletters are still really, they're HTML technically, but they're still, I mean, for the most part, plain text. Um, I don't know. I, I, I know personally anything that's a, sort of highly stylized email, I tend to just write it off as a marketing thing and delete it pretty quick. And also I would say we get a lot better click-through rates on plain text stuff and a lot higher response rate for sure. Cool. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, switching gears kind of completely a little bit. You guys are a totally remote team, right? Yep. How many of you are there now? S- seven. Seven people. And what's kind of the split there between like uh, you know developers and people working on business so stuff? And We have three uh, back-end engineers um, one front end engineer, a designer, customer support slash success, and then me. Do you have any tips for kind of like managing a remote team and keeping everybody, you know, on the same page as far as what the goals and priorities are or encouraging collaboration stuff like that? So I think being clear about what is in the pipeline goes a long way. So we use, we use Asana for managing the design and development of the whole of, of everything. And I mean, you could use Trello. We've used Trello in the past too, but everybody can see what the roadmap is, you know, when we were planning on shipping stuff, um, kind of what needs to be done on all those projects, what's coming up next. We're just, we're highly communicative, communicative. Is that the word? There's, there's some complex word in there. Um, so we, we type a ton of stuff out. Like we don't use a ton of video chat, primarily because we want to have, you know, the text, like a a record of what's going on so that you can kind of go back and figure things out if you need to. 
Yeah, that makes sense. How much structure do you guys have around like your development process? Like in the past, you know, I've worked on some teams where we've done like a, you know, a real official sort of scrum process sort of thing versus other teams where it's just kind of like a bottomless list of features chugging along the Kanban board. Uh, do you guys structure things in a specific way? Um, it's probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I, so initially I, uh, I'll write up a project brief. So a one page document about the problem that needs to be solved. Um, some details about, you know, kind of what we're trying to accomplish, what, um, the sort of success metrics would be for that. So, you know, how we would decide if this feature or whatever was a success. Um, and then from there goes to design and I'll go back and forth on the design side of things with our designer, just figuring things out. And that a lot of times sort of rounds out the feature itself. And then from there it gets passed to front end and then goes to back end after that. And it's still, it's mostly just a long list of things, but that got, we limited what those things are in the design phase. So the development side doesn't typically doesn't just get tacked onto forever and ever because by the time it gets to development, we've, we've figured out, we've sort of stopped, like capped the, the, the scope of it. Totally. Already. I think the idea of, um, you know, you're talking about this kind of document that you create up front is kind of a really cool idea. Not like, you know, like some waterfall software spec or anything, but I've read things about people talking about like, you know, the best way to figure out like what the goal of some feature is that you're developing is to like write the the press release before you yep. uh, build the feature sort of thing so it's cool to hear that you guys do that as kind of like a regular a uh, part of your process are you guys working with like an external designer uh we've got a guy who's technically i guess would be contract but he's like he's been doing stuff for us for a long time so he's he's invested in the product in the in that sense like he knows where we're going and what needs to be done and so yeah, for all intents and purposes, he's practically full-time. Cool. Awesome. Um, is there anything, uh, any challenges or anything that you guys have been working on lately? Anything that you want to talk about uh, before we start to wrap it up? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I, I think like one thing that's important is, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, but is, is flexibility in, in the, in the process and, and being honest with yourself about stuff. I think a lot of times it's easy to like love your product idea or the product itself and think of it as being perfect and that other people just don't understand it yet. But it also just might be that you're not really solving a problem. And so I think I would say as sort of just a like closing tip, I guess would be to, to be honest with yourself about when something isn't working and to, and to move on and kind of cut your losses and go into the next thing. Cause there's likely much better things out there. Awesome, man. That's great advice. Uh, is there anything uh, that you want to plug or anything before we get going? I know you guys, put something out the other day so maybe you could take this oh, sure. opportunity to um, talk about it yeah so if you use stripe and um and have failed charges which you inevitably do um we released this dunning feature yesterday that automate automates collecting on those failed charges for you so no real setup to do you just turn it on we'll start sending out emails for you to those customers and you'll keep more of your money Awesome, man. What's the best way for people to kind of follow you online or keep up with what you're doing? Sure. So Twitter, um, at Spigford. It's at S-H-P-I-G-F-O-R-D. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way. Right on, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I learned a lot. Thanks for giving me your time. It's been really fun. Hey, thanks for having me, Adam. So uh, if anyone's interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 26. If you could rate and review the show on iTunes, that's super helpful. 
get us kind of in the faces of more people. And uh, thanks again to Laracast for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a PHP developer or a Laravel developer, there's lots and lots of stuff on there for you to learn. All sorts of different topics. I've had a subscription since the service came out, and I check it every week and learn tons of new stuff. So thanks again to them for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.